And welcome in to another edition of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Show. I'm Jeremy Bolker, and we want to welcome in our longtime host of the program, frequent keynote speaker, four best-selling books out of the eight that he's written. Let's welcome in Dennis Tubergen to the program. We're so happy to have you uh, along with us, Dennis, and of course, uh, all the listeners out there uh, listening uh, all across uh, the West Michigan area, Michigan, the United States, and uh, even the world there, too. And uh, Dennis, welcome in. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's exciting weekend, opening weekend of the NFL. And and but I will tell you, uh, the let's talk about dominance. Let's talk about a number of things. And let's talk about the U.S. dollar, because we got a hint on it last week. If you did get a chance to uh, listen to the program about the weakening U.S. dollar and its loss of its dominance and uh, there's a lot of things to be said about that, but now you tie it into the agricultural industry. And Dennis, if you could explain a little bit more about what is going on there. Yeah, well, Jeremy, uh, thanks. Glad to have you back on the program again and uh, welcome everybody. And uh, just a quick reminder, Jeremy, before I answer that question, we do have the September special report available. Uh, listeners can get the special report as well as bonus information by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. Uh, requestyourreport.com is the website. Uh, the September report is all about the forecast that I have for the economy and the investing markets. And in the report, um, I uh, also enlist the help of four other experts to talk to them about what they expect. And we'll talk about this more in the last segment of today's program. But to get the September 2023 special report free, And no further obligation, just go to requestyourreport.com. Now, Jeremy, to get back to your uh, question, um, you know, it's not any secret to longtime listeners that the BRICS countries, and that is an acronym that stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, they held their, their, their conference recently in August, and they've admitted six new countries to that coalition with three of them being oil-producing countries. Um, So this means that we have about half of the world's oil production now that will be part of BRICS, which, uh, as we'll talk about today on the program with my special guest, John Rubino, in the next couple segments, uh, they're really an anti-dollar coalition. So, So as far as agriculture goes, uh, there is now uh, the, the U.S. being a big agricultural export country is now no longer in first place when it comes to exporting corn. Brazil, again, a member of the BRICS coalition, is now the world's top corn supplier. So in 2023, this harvest year, the U.S. will account for about 23 percent of global corn exports. Brazil now will be at 32 percent. And uh, we also have now the U.S. no longer leading in soybean and wheat exports. Now, what's what, what's really, really driving this is who is China buying their ag products from? So China really has said, OK, we're going to buy more from Brazil and less from the United States. In fact, China signed a deal with Brazil last year to increase grain purchases. And that's exactly what they're doing um, and, and this a lot, this has to do with a couple things. One, as you said, the U.S. dollar is losing dominance. The U.S. dollar doesn't buy what it used to because of how many that have been printed. But secondly, and maybe even more importantly, 
the U.S. dollar has been weaponized. Um, and, uh, you know, if the U.S. doesn't like what a country is doing, we often weaponize the dollar being the, the reserve currency. We have the ability to do that. And China now is hedging their bets. That's, you know, over a billion people, and they're buying more ag products from Brazil than they are the U.S. Uh, this uh, will likely uh, uh, impact uh, maybe American farmers' income as well. And so, Dennis, with that in mind, too, it's not just the, uh, you know, the U.S. losing its dominance as far as the dollars, but also obviously corn production, as you just had mentioned. And now part of this, Dennis, is not just because we're hearing the rumors of Chinese companies trying to buy up U.S. farms. Is that part of this equation as well? Well, I think, uh, Jeremy, it goes uh, a little bit maybe deeper than that. Um, I think it has to do with the fact that uh, every currency in the world is a fiat currency. So so fundamentally speaking, there's no currency backed by anything anymore. And uh, you have also, as I say, the weaponization of the dollar. So just a couple quick examples. Argentina recently made a decision to make a payment to the International Monetary Fund, which is the, the, the central bank of all central banks. They decided to make the payment in the Chinese currency, in renminbi, rather than U.S. dollars. Uh, Bangladesh uh, now is using the renminbi as opposed to the U.S. dollar. China has their own, as I mentioned, bilateral trade agreement with Brazil. They bypass the dollar in, in those trades. India and Russia have their own bilateral agreements. So basically you're seeing countries around the world develop alternatives to the dollar. They're not completely abandoning the dollar, but this is certainly affecting the, the dominance of the dollar, and it will likely mean more inflation here. Now, that trend's also apparent when looking at the like long bonds, and that, that 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 that's a lot for me to understand right there. But explain what that what that means. Well, you know, Jeremy, for for years and years, you would put your money in U.S. government bonds, and you would say, "I'm going to get whatever the interest rate is. I'm going to get some return, but I'm not going to lose money. Money, my 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 money is going to be safe." Well, if you take a look at what's happened to um, the, 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 the U.S. government long bond, and that's typically defined by a 30-year bond, because the Fed has been increasing interest rates, that's the primary reason. But secondly, because there's not a big market for U.S. dollars, we have seen U.S. Treasury bonds fall in price from March of 2020 to the present time by 47%. So if you had a portfolio of U.S. government bonds three years ago, and that portfolio three years ago was worth $100,000, it's now worth $53,000. So that really gives a, a really good snapshot as to what's going on as far as uh, the U.S. dollar and U.S. government bonds. Um, and I take it, uh, it's probably not too good a news for, for people's IRAs and 401k plans too is it, it, it can affect one one can affect the other thing yeah well i think of it, as far as an ira or 401k is concerned um it, it's really important to think very seriously about diversifying from this typical 60 40 plan and you know a lot a lot of 401k investors a lot of ira investors uh put 60 percent of their money in stocks they put 40 percent in bonds and they let it ride, they rebalance every now and then, but that particular portfolio has performed extremely poorly 
over the last couple of years. Uh, 2022, for example, saw uh, interest rates go up. That means the value of bonds go down. It also saw stocks go down. So, you know, the the, the old correlation that when stocks go down, bonds go up and vice versa is now broken. Um so I, I think that we, we're living in a different world here. I don't think we're going to go back completely to the world we once had. And if you're going to be successful planning for retirement, you're going to need to use alternative strategies. And that's why we're offering the September 2023 special report. The report is titled Autumn Forecast for the Economy and Investing Markets. And when you go to requestyourreport.com, we'll not only send you the report, we will also send you a copy of the best-selling revenue sourcing book, as well as the little black book on social security maximization. So again, that website, requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. John Rubino. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is Mr. John Rubino. If you're a longtime listener to RLA Radio, you recognize John as the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. Uh, that book uh, was really a prophecy. I'd encourage you to pick it up. And uh, you can read his work at rubino.substack.com. That's rubino.substack.com. I would encourage you to do that as well. And John, welcome back to the program. Hey, Dennis, good to be back. So, John, let's talk a little bit about the health of the U.S. economy to get started. It appears, uh, as we've been talking about here on the program, that the American consumer uh, has more credit card debt than ever. Uh, the uh, Stimulus savings seems to be gone and default rates are rising. Does that mean a recession is imminent? Um, yeah, it, it means it's coming. And the timing has um, has been kind of hard to call here because we really should have had a recession already with interest rates going up as high as they have and, and um, housing starts falling dramatically and lots of other things happening that, that kind of point in that direction. But uh, it, it feels like 2024 is when a lot of this stuff is going to really bite. And uh, I've been covering it on Substack because pretty much every indicator that uh, people normally look at as a recession indicator is um, is pointing in that direction. And uh, I just did a piece on how even some really unusual indicators that we, we don't even know those these things exist until somebody points them out to us. They're pointing in the same direction. So I'll, I'll tell you a couple of them now. There's, there's five or six that I covered, but uh, two interesting ones especially are um, the spread between mortgage rates and treasury yields. Um, in other words, a 30-year mortgage versus a 30-year treasury bond. Now, those, those things are constitute a spread where the mortgage rate is usually higher than the treasury bond yield. But the width of the spread tells you what people think of the economy. When the spread widens out, in other words, when mortgage rates are much higher than treasury yields, um, that means people are nervous in the financial markets about what's coming. 
And lately, the uh, the spread between mortgage rates and treasuries has widened to the highest it's ever been. Um, and it was, you know, it spiked in uh, 1999, just before the tech stock bubble burst. It spiked again in 2007, just before the housing bubble burst. And now it's spiking to an even higher level than that, implying that even more trouble is coming than in those two bubble bursting. Um, and then there's another one called excess household savings that explains kind of why we haven't had the recession yet. Um, when the uh, pandemic hit, everybody was terrified and they, they weren't going out and spending money or anything. And the government was sending people money. And so people cashed their stimmy checks and just saved them. So Americans' savings went way up by about $2 trillion. And since that time, we've been coasting on that big cash cushion and spending a little bit of it each month to maintain our lifestyles. And now that money's almost gone. So just as the, um, the interest on student loan debt now has to be paid back again starting in October, people are basically out of money that they got and saved during the pandemic. So we've got these two things um, colliding here where our costs are going to go up, or at least anybody who has student loan debt, their costs are going to go up. And the money that we had saved over the past few years is basically gone too. So consumer spending is probably going to crater in 2024. And uh, that normally brings on a recession. So, so we've got those two things, among many other things, pointing towards a big slowdown coming. And that normally, you know, a slowdown like that normally coincides with an equities bear market. So stocks are probably going to tank when the economy slows down. So 2024 is looking kind of like the year 2000 or um, 2008. In other words, when uh, when everything rolls over and uh, the financial markets are thrown into turmoil and people become terrified about the future. So, so John, you mentioned the the spread between uh, mortgage rates and the 30-year U.S. Treasury, uh, and the the spread now is wider than it was, I think you said, in 1999 and in 2007. In both of those instances, shortly after those uh, th those dates you mentioned, we saw extreme declines in the equities markets. I mean, I think stocks dropped uh, more than 50% in both of those instances. And you said now we even have a wider spread. So do you have a are you are you still bold as to maybe have a forecast of where stocks go from here? Well, you know, there, there's that old saying, pick a number or pick a date, but don't pick both. <laughs> and that's that's, that's <laughs> a, a good policy with the stock market because you never really know for sure. You know, the future is inherently unknowable, but there are repeating patterns in life that give you hints about what's coming. And as you said, stocks crash. In both of the times when uh, when that spread between mortgage rates and treasury yields was as high as it is, or, or when they when it spiked, they'd never been as high as it is today. So that one indicator is implying a stock market crash commensurate with those two previous ones, and both of them were you know 50% down on the, on the big indexes. Uh, I think the Nasdaq tech stocks fell even harder in the 2020 bursting of the tech stock bubble. And uh, financial stocks fell even harder um, in 2008, 2009, because that was really a banking crisis. 
So it's possible that pockets of the stock market fall more than 50% if we have that recession and equities bear market. Um, and this indicator is still a, um, a, a, a good picture of what's coming. So, John, you mentioned also that, uh, you know, this, the, the student loan payments begin again in October. And I've read studies that, that, that have indicated that will be the equivalent of almost a $200 billion a year headwind uh, to the U.S. economy. And, and uh, you know, when, when you start talking about consumers having the ability to spend, um, I have seen research that indicates that that's about 70 percent of the health of the U.S. economy is dependent upon you and I going out and spending money. So. Um, you know, it just seems like all these um, all these potential straws to break the camel's back are kind of coming at the same time. Yeah, they are um, because interest rates have gone up, among other things. But uh, rising interest rates makes everything tougher for people who need to borrow money. And that's most everybody these days. So, yeah, um, people are putting their day-to-day -day life on credit cards to an increasing extent now. Credit card debt has, um, has reached an all-time high, and the number of people who are carrying balances has reached an all-time high, which means there's a lot of people out there um, who, who have debt that is charging them 20% or more per year in interest. So that right there is a recipe for bankruptcy for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people who have student loans but aren't paying on those student loans yet are delinquent on their other debt, meaning that even without having to pay off these student loans, uh, they can't cover the current debt that they've got. So when you dump student loan interest back onto those people, you're going to see an awful lot of people just start defaulting on things, uh, especially credit cards, but also auto loans and mortgages and whatever else is out there. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that normally happens in a recession. So we, we shouldn't be surprised by it, but the numbers are so much bigger this time around that it, it's liable to happen on a bigger scale than anything we've seen before. And that makes it uh, it makes it very hard to predict what's going to happen when when you've exceeded past levels of leverage. Um, things get commensurately more dangerous and more unstable. And uh, that's what we're looking at at some point. And I think there's a very decent chance that uh, you know, mortgage rates spiking as they have and credit um, credit card debt spiking as it has and student loan debt becoming payable again, all coming at once, um, is a recipe for a very tough 2024. And what that means is, you know, one one step beyond there's a crisis coming is the, the Fed capitulating and, and starting to ease interest rates again. So I think uh, in the not too distant future, there's a Fed reversal coming. And we'll see them uh, try to try to stop the bleeding by cutting interest rates and buying bonds again. In other words, going back to creating a lot of new currency and dumping it into the market. So uh, we're, we're going to see a very different world <laughs> in the not too distant future here because things are going to happen. And then the governments of the world are going to have to react to those things. So it's going to look more like 2008, 2009 than um, 2022 or 2023. Well, John, I, I was just going to ask you if you thought the Fed would reverse course, and you've stated that you believe they will. Doesn't that just feed the inflation monster again? And, and, and aren't we kind of in this vicious cycle at this point? Yeah, um, that's what happens when you borrow too much money. You get um, 
booms and busts of increasing amplitude, which require more and more new currency creation to prevent the busts from turning into, you know, capital D depressions. Uh, and then that currency creation feeds inflation, which makes the next boom even bigger. So we're in that kind of a cycle. Now, eventually, we're going to get a boom that's so big or, uh, that the resulting bust um, will be unfixable. And it's possible we're there now. It's possible that the everything bubble of the last 10 years is going to turn out to be something that you cannot fix with standard monetary policy. In other words, cutting interest rates and creating a lot of new currency. Because like you said, that will, um, that will cause inflation to accelerate. And then once you've got inflation accelerating at the same time the economy is weak, you can't fix one without making the other worse. And it could be that we're, we're in that kind of a box right now. And that's a very scary situation because it, it means there's no help available. Um, there, there's always been the uh, government running deficits and the Fed cutting interest rates um, and, and being able, by doing those things, to fix these previous busts. But it's possible that the bust that's coming is not fixable that way because we've got inflation looming out there. And so if you cut interest rates, that makes um, inflation pick up and the dollar crash and and uh, you, so you just can't do it. So we'll see. Um, eventually, that situation is coming, and it's possible that this is that situation. So uh, we will see. But, uh, you know, one other thing that's really important on the inflation front to talk about is wage inflation now. Because all of a sudden, unions uh, who have been just, you know, beaten into the ground by corporations in the last 30 or 40 years because of globalization. You know, we've shipped all our good paying factory jobs to uh, other countries and we basically abandoned a whole big section of the population. Well, we're bringing factories back uh, and um, there's a labor shortage generally right now. Uh, and that has given a lot more power to existing workers and they're, they're flexing those muscles. You know, we're seeing labor um, disputes end with, double-digit raises for the next four years. That's what happened in the airline industry just now. Uh, ten, pilots got 10% raises over the next four years for a total of 40% increase, and uh, plus big benefits and things like that. And um, We just saw UPS drivers um, get a new labor contract that ends with them making, uh, when you include benefits, a total of $170,000 a year. <laughs> So, so we're seeing we're, you know, we're seeing wages go way up, which is a form of inflation, which the Fed recognizes as inflation, and so it it feels obligated to lean against that with higher interest rates. So unless that's going to change instantly in uh, the next equities bear market, um, that's one of the things that prevents the Fed from being able to cut as aggressively as they would. So you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, problems out there that don't seem easily fixable with our old tools. And that's that's the big issue. I mean, will those tools work? And if they don't, what do we replace them with? It's not obvious that there's anything on the horizon that fixes things. Well, my guest today is Mr. John Rabino. You can read his work at rabino.substack.com. The website again, rabino.substack.com. I'll continue my conversation with John when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. I am chatting today with Mr. John Rubino. John is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. This book uh, has been out there for a few years, but uh, very prophetic. I'd encourage you to pick it up. Very relevant today. Uh, and uh, you can read his work at rabino.substack.com. That's rabino.substack.com. And uh, John, as we finished up the last segment, you talked about the fact that uh, you know UPS drivers are now making up to $170,000 a year. In fact, I've read that uh, the new bait on uh, dating sites is to tell the uh, prospective uh, uh, datee, I guess if that's the term, that you're a, U- that you're a UPS driver. That's, that's garnering a lot of attention now. And you look at the UAW, uh, their demands are a 46% raise over four years. And, and you know, all that seemed you know, unfathomable in the past. So you know, if the Fed goes back and, uh, and says, okay, we're going we're gonna to reverse course, doesn't that create even a bigger set of problems? Well, it, it's liable to. If, um, if wages are rising really aggressively, then that's, that's a form of inflation that the Fed recognizes as real. You know, they, they don't think rising stock, bond, and real estate prices um, represent inflation, so they ignore those things. But let workers start being paid a little better, and then the Fed, you know, snaps the, to attention and starts raising interest rates to prevent that from happening. That's just how our financial system works. It's skewed in favor of the very rich who own stocks, bonds, and real estate, and against the people who um, who are paid by the very rich. Um, so there, there's a a very safe bet that the Fed is looking at today's labor deals. And thinking, wow, this means we have to raise interest rates more and, and we have to keep them higher for longer. That's the new phrase, higher for longer, that they're using. Uh, and so that will keep them from easing as aggressively as they otherwise would, which will exacerbate the problem of high interest rates um, bankrupting a lot of borrowers. So we're, you know, we're in a box that doesn't appear to have a fix. Uh, and um, the solution for that for individuals is to be very defensive with your money going forward because uh, in in 2000 and in 2008 2009 the last thing you wanted to be was long equities you uh, you lost a lot of money if you stayed with your old 60 40 kind of stock and bond <clears throat> portfolio back then so uh, i think that um, it makes a lot of sense to raise some cash now and to um, to anticipate the Fed's aggressive easing at some point when they finally break down and start easing by owning real assets that the Fed and the other central banks can't just inflate away. So own some gold and silver. Um, If you're able to buy some farmland or a homestead or something like that, those things have a lot of utility, so they'll hold their value. Um, and look at energy assets that pay dividends. And, and you know, we're going to be driving regardless. We're going to be heating our houses regardless, we hope, <laughs> of the economic situation. And that means um, <clears throat> oil and natural gas retain their value. And something like uranium becomes more valuable as we shift back to nuclear, which a lot of countries are doing. So those are things that are defensive investments that will help you get through what's coming. But you probably don't want to be loaded up on tech stocks and other, um, you know, richly valued financial-related assets because those are the things that are going to get hurt 
in a really serious equity downturn. So, uh, you know, it's possible to come through something like this in good shape and even to make a lot of money, but you don't want to do the things that worked in the recent past in anticipation of them continuing to work, because that's not how that goes. Usually the things that worked to get you to the bust are the things that are hurt most badly during the bust. So a lot of people are going to have to change their perspectives um, about what kinds of things are good to be invested in. And if, if they don't, they'll, they'll very possibly suffer dramatically in what's coming. So, John, I, I want to shift gears if I could. I'd love the listeners to get your perspective on uh, what just transpired at the recently completed BRICS summit in South Africa. There was a lot of talk uh, leading up to the summit that the BRICS countries, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, were going to roll out a gold-backed trade currency, which uh, didn't seem to happen. But there were some interesting things that transpired. Uh, what are your big takeaways that you'd point out to the listeners from uh, what happened at the uh, at the BRICS conference recently? Yeah, that was uh, that was actually kind of funny because they they threw out this um, idea ahead of time about maybe a gold backed currency and had everybody all excited and you know everybody was watching for that during the meeting and then on the last day um, they they pulled a different blockbuster announcement out and, and said they were going to induct Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Iran in the coming year, which means that uh, now you've got Saudi Arabia, um, the second or third biggest oil producer in the world, in an anti-dollar coalition. And you've got the United Arab Emirates, which has a big military connection to the U.S. in kind of an anti-U.S. coalition. So, you know, it's not clear what that means going forward, but it's um, it's it is clearly um, an indication that a lot of the world is fed up with U.S. behavior. We we have the world's reserve currency and we have the world's most powerful military, and we've combined those two things into uh, basically um, a weaponized empire. That, um, that punishes anybody who steps out of line with U.S. foreign policy. And a lot of other countries are, are sick of it, and they're afraid of being the next victim. So the BRICS, which has been around as kind of a notional thing for quite a while, has, has started to become a, a real organization um, aimed at bypassing the U.S. dollar in bilateral trade between BRICS countries and maybe setting up a, a parallel global financial system that doesn't depend on the dollar and isn't vulnerable to U.S. foreign policy initiatives. So that, that's potentially a big deal because it, it could mean that fewer dollars are needed for trade in the world, especially with Saudi Arabia, maybe taking other currencies instead of a dollar for oil. Um, so it means a lot of the dollars that people are holding um, in the world may not be quite as necessary as they were, and, and those dollars might come back home. Uh, in other words, people holding dollars would take those dollars and maybe buy U.S. assets. They might buy farmland or uh, apartment buildings or real estate otherwise or uh, factories or whatever, which pushes the price up of assets in the U.S., which is inflationary. You know That means the dollar loses value and prices go up here which, as we talked about before, is something we're not really prepared for. So that's, a, um, that's, that's one more thing to worry about, basically, in coming years. 
And it's a thing that, uh, that the U.S. doesn't have a lot of control over now. So it's something that uh, might be a threat, and it's something that we don't really have any way of countering. Um, and um, so, it, you know, you add it all up. You add the BRICS thing up with uh, the current financial situation, all this debt, and, and consumers as strapped as they've ever been, all, all of that put together. And um, you, you have to worry about the stability of the U.S. financial system because uh, we, we have so much debt that we've got to manage in some way. And it's not clear that any anyone in the rest of the world is going to help us. So it could be that we're kind of on our own at some point with problems that we really don't have any way to fix. And uh, in that case, as I said, you want to, as an individual investor, you want to try to be as far away from that whole thing as possible. Just uh, ride out the storm in things that aren't directly affected by political and financial turmoil. So, so John, it just seems to me uh, that, that, you know, this whole anti-dollar movement, although, you know, it, it, it has existed uh, and been building really since quantitative easing started in earnest, but it seems like this is really accelerating at, at, a, at a pace that seems uh, almost unreal. It almost seems surreal, I guess I should say, how quickly these developments are, are taking place. Uh, how long do you think it is before the, the U.S. dollar maybe becomes, uh, you know, not the world reserve currency? And, and what would be the implications for our average listener? Well, I think we're a long way from the U.S. dollar losing its reserve currency status, but it could get some competition. And prices are set at the margin. So if uh, if the dollar, I think 55 or 60 percent right now, it represents that percentage of global reserve currency assets. In other words, that's what the central banks all own uh, for in their own balances to back up their own currencies. It's mostly dollars. Well, if um, if some of that is converted from dollars into other currencies or into gold, which is the central banks are buying gold like crazy right now. And I, I think they're using their dollars to do that. So let's say that process accelerates. Um, at the margin, the dollar's exchange rate goes down, and that's inflationary for us. If the dollar loses value, that's the same thing as saying prices of things go up for Americans. So that, you know, it, not, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. It can be a, a trend that maybe inflects just a little bit, so it's moving slightly faster than it was in the past. And that might be enough to boost U.S. inflation rates to the point where we, uh, we're in that box where um, we have to do something about inflation, but if we do something about inflation, we'll crash the uh, leverage speculating community and we'll have a gigantic financial crisis. And what do we do? You know, we're, we're in one of those situations um, that, um, that whatever we do is risking some really horrific result. And the BRICS thing and the general de-dollarization thing out there could be something that moves that process along. It's not going to cause it in and of itself, but it's it's one more thing in a constellation of things that are all pointing towards a, a weaker dollar and a uh, a potential crisis for the U.S. financial system. Well, my guest today has been Mr. John Rabino. He is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. You can also read all of his work, and he is a prolific uh, writer and commentator at rabino.substack.com. 
The website, again, is rabino.substack.com. John, amazing how quickly 25 minutes goes by when we start having a conversation. I really appreciate you joining us today, and I know the listeners do as well. Love to have you back down the road. So uh, thank you again. Thanks, Dennis. Look forward to talking to you next time. We will return after these words. And welcome back into the final segment of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Show. I'm Jeremy Volker with Dennis Tubergen. And uh, uh, Dennis, I know you're going to get a chance to tell us how to get the September special report. But, uh, you know, we just got to hear from our special guests here the last couple of segments. And uh, I think there's a big key takeaway. And um, you pretty much agree with talking about the likelihood of a U.S. recession. And if you, you could, I'd like to know a little bit more about what 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 your thoughts are on this process and why? Well, I think, uh, Jeremy, I, I believe we're, we may already be in recession despite, um, you know, what stocks have been doing. Uh, but, but I believe that when you, when you just take a look at the U.S. consumer, which we talked about on last week's program, the U.S. consumer is stressed. We talk about, talked about that with John Rubino today. Secondly, when you take a look at the total level of debt that exists in the worldwide economy and in the U.S. economy, we are at all-time highs. We are at record levels. Worldwide, there's now $305 trillion worth of debt on public balance sheets and in the private sector. That's up from $100 trillion at the time of the financial crisis. So in the last 15 years, worldwide debt has tripled. So, you know, Michael Oliver in this month's special report, which if you're just joining us, you can get that by visiting requestyourreport.com. Uh, he says it's going to be worse than a recession. Uh, his reasoning is in the, the special report. Uh, Dr. Gary Schilling, who was on the program here within the last month, pointed to the fact that we have an inverted yield curve, uh, meaning that short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. That has always led to a recession. Dr. Schilling pointed out that when the Fed raises interest rates from an artificially low environment, that has always led to a recession. And uh, when you couple that with the fact that the U.S. economy is 70% dependent on consumer spending and consumers are strapped with student loan payments starting again next month, that does not paint a pretty picture for the consumer spending dependent U.S. economy. And Dennis, quick, tell us about you know how to get that exact report, and we'll we'll reference this again. But I think yeah, you know, one of the big just go to requestyourreport.com, Jeremy, and we'll send the the report as well as the revenue sourcing book, as well as the little black book on social security maximization. So let, let's let's tease the September report a little bit more because you dive into the data from the most recent bull market and the stocks, you know, compared to you know previous ones that you had just been discussing and um how would you say those compare and how is this different right now why it's probably even a little more scary well i think when you look at prior bull markets and i guess as a a backdrop to that i mean if you go back to 1971 when the dollar became a fiat currency that's when the link between the dollar and gold was eliminated it's very easy to make the case by just looking at a stock chart that we've had a series of booms and busts. We've had highs and lows. 
And each subsequent uh, boom gets bigger, which means each subsequent bust gets bigger. So when you take a look at the increase in the price of the S&P 500 from 2009 to 2021 when it made its high, we had a 700% increase. Now, if you go all the way back to 1929, let's skip 71, let's go all the way back to 1929, you will not find a comparative bull market in terms of duration or in terms of percent gain. So we have just had the biggest bull market in history, not coincidentally because interest rates were zero and the Fed was literally creating currency out of thin air. And a lot of that newly created currency went into stocks creating what I believe is a very big bubble. So um, uh, here on the program in, in early 2022, we said that we believe that the peak in the market was in. I still believe the peak in the market was in then. I think we've got more downside here. Um, I would not be surprised to see another 40 to 50% downside here in stocks. Holy cow. Oy, oy, oy. I Can you repeat that one more time? Because that is that's, that's, that, that is really significant. Yeah, I think I think we're looking at another forty to fifty percent from here, and I and so and more wouldn't surprise me, Jeremy. I mean, if you look at when the tech stock bubble unwound, it was a little bit better than fifty percent at the time of the financial crisis. It was a little bit better than fifty percent, and the bubble is way bigger now. So I think we're going to at least do what we saw before. So I, I would say forty to fifty percent might even end up being conservative. More would not surprise me. Uh, a sure way to. Uh, be wrong is to predict an exact bottom in the market or predict or predict exactly sure. when a market decline starts. But I believe that it is inevitable. And I believe 40 to 50 percent is going to be a conservative number. Well, and it all ties back into, again, being inflation, being the big economic story. And where would you say inflation is going to be uh, going from here? Well, I'm not sure my news is any better for you. <laughs> on, on the inflation right. note, I would I would remind the listeners that if you've not gone to get a precious metals buyer's guide at plpmetals.com, you can do that. That's P as in Papa, L as in Lima, P as in Papa, and then metals, plpmetals.com. Just let us know where to mail that uh, precious metals buyer's guide. We'll be very glad to do that. But ultimately, we cannot see, in my opinion, uh, inflation under control until the federal government balances their budget. So let me just give you a really quick example in the time we have left. Let's say that, you know, we have a we have about six trillion dollars in government spending this year. About four trillion of that will be funded through tax revenues. The other two trillion dollars will just have to be created in order to spend it. If you create two trillion dollars on a twenty five trillion dollar economy, that is eight percent. So that's an eight percent inflation rate because you're just creating currency to be able to afford the spending. So I believe that uh, we're going to see inflation continue. And I believe at the same time, we're going to see economic contraction. And uh, academically speaking, that is stagflation. So I would advise listeners, uh, Jeremy, to just get the information that we're offering on today's program. It's the September special report. That's the autumn forecast for the economy and investing markets. When you request that, you also get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing book, which contains a retirement planning strategy for the current economy. You'll also get the book on maximizing Social Security called The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. All that information is available by visiting requestyourreport.com. And again, the Precious Metals Buyer's Guide is also free. 
Go to plpmetals.com. That's plpmetals.com to request that. And we'll be very glad to get it out to you. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you guys for joining us. We will be back again next week right here 